0: Good digital is quickly becoming table stakes for any business. We sat down with Gunter Rice, global marketing leader and digital marketing evangelist to discuss how social media marketing fits into B2B, his playbook for CMOs in 2021, and why digital marketing is your most important challenge as a marketing leader. Please join me in my interview with Gunter Rice. Well, it is absolutely wonderful to be with you here today. Uh, thank you so much for joining Lead Tail TV. Uh, Gunter, how how uh, how wonderful to be here. Thank you so much. So I talked to you a little bit about uh, and, and ask you about the unconventional kind of international career and your, your passion for even being a marketer. Um, tell me a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, as you can probably tell on my accent, um, It's probably closer to Kindergarten Cop and uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, but I grew up in in a little village outside of Vienna in Austria. And, um, you know, I ended up at the end here in the Silicon Valley and uh, I grew when I grew up, I read a book uh, called Steve Jobs. Uh, the Henry Ford of the computer industry. And it was obviously translated in German. And uh, it just inspired me. I started to work at a telecommunications company actually in Austria, which was responsible Austria, Austria and Eastern Europe, to as a product manager and product marketing manager on data communications product. You know, what you can tell is that I'm absolutely passionate about disruptive technologies. And I want to be a change agent and uh, and really bring these new technologies to the market. And I had the opportunity to meet the the inventors of Bluetooth uh, in Sweden. And I was like, yes, this is going to be such an ubiquitous technology. I want to be part of that. Or I let the 5G engineers uh, back already now, seven years ago about new use cases, autonomous driven cars and, and um, uh, smart manufacturing and smart cities. And it's really cool, but I really found my calling in the cmo role because you can be really bold you can be strategic you can be creative and innovative in your approach and so when i when i get up in the morning i get just so excited to work with marketers on you know how can we build more innovative abm strategies how can we build um you know some uh, more organic and paid traffic initiatives for the website of course you know, you always want to find a balance between organic and paid um, just to cover, you know, your strat- your overall strategy and your campaign. But um, I had uh, I had a head of digital where he was, whenever I came to the office, that was pre-COVID-19, of course, when I came to the office, every day in the morning, he said, Gunter, 5G security, first page, first ranked, you know, and, and that that just was exciting because it just it, it takes a lot of um, creativity uh, to, to be always on the first, on the first page ranked. And uh, so there is a bit of an art and a science behind our marketing job nowadays.
0: Well, speaking of an art and a science and how it's changing, tell me about that as as a CMO and how the CMO is actually role is actually
1: changing. Yeah. So so this is interesting to me as well because of course I have mostly worked in the B2B world uh, during my entire career but what I see right now is it is dramatically changing because the B2B CMOs need to take notes from the B2C marketers in the digital world, especially what we have seen now over the last one and a half years, where we are basically going through that pandemic and digital is really becoming your, your most important channel, let's be honest. And um, according to a recent statistic by 2025, Again, we talked about millennials. Millennials will represent forty percent of the U.S. workforce, and they are going to be in decision-making roles and influencer roles if they are not already today. And they grew up as digital citizens, so they are expecting a digital experience. You know, in the B two B world, which is similar to the B2C world. Uh, But when you really want to summarize it in, in, for me, five key areas where the CMO needs to focus on now, other than just building a high performance team around yourself, uh, is number one, listen to the voice of the customer. Because to me, too many companies are still just marketing their own product, their own solution. It's all about, oh, we are the best but they are ignoring just the voice of the customer. At the end, the hero is the customer. You are the guide. Like somebody said at Star Wars, it's like Luke Skywalker and Yoda. And uh, and that's really what it is. And I think the B2C world is doing a much, much better job uh, a lot of times. And you know, one of the first things when I took over the, the VP worldwide marketing role was bring in a dedicated person for customer advocacy, because I wanna hear the voice of the customer, because you learn so much. Uh, Second for me is, and it's really undervalued, is because it's seen very often as fluffy, is brand building. And especially in the digital world, how are you going to stand out? Um, how, how are you going to differentiate your offering? What's your simple messaging? What's What do you stand for as a company? Um, and even going th- that far is, you know, can you build actually your own category? Look at what Palo Alto Networks did. We had already many firewalls at that time. They came up as the next generation firewall. And uh, but branding is is really a big item. Um, content, to me, still content is king. And um, blogs, you know, of course, everybody is coming up with blogs nowadays. But then have experts really sharing their uh, knowledge. With the community, and so, and it's it's obviously now a lot of video content which you need to create YouTube and so on. So that's to me the third aspect. The fourth aspect is digital, 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 and social. Because look, uh, when suddenly last year in March. You know, we shut down basically all the, the the physical conferences and field marketing and so on. You know, we had to shift gears. And um, when you when you look at it now, another statistic says ninety percent of all B two B buyers start the buying journey with Google search i mean look how powerful actually google is in that sense but it also means for you as a marketer you have to really have to ha- have to have a really good strategy around organic search and your paid search and the website is you know the most important digital entity you have because that's where buyers go to learn and to understand who you are as a company and then of course social is its own, you know, go-to-market strategy. Now uh, you have to have social part of your strategy. It's it's not a B two C just kind of channel uh, any longer. And then my last one is really you need to be an innovator, uh, an innovator as a business developer. And of course I bring a lot of business development experience with me, but you know, I hosted on Fridays always a brainstorming and ideation session around around coming up with new creative out-of-the-box ABM strategies. And um, because you need to differentiate yourself in the market. Too many others, particularly in your specific industry, will try to come up with webinars and so on. But how are you going to differentiate? What are you going to do differently? And um, my last comment on that is, it's really not any longer for just bringing more leads and i know this is not what cfo's want to hear because you want to always say oh yeah i had instead of 200 mqls or 2000 mqls i had 3000 mqls i had 4000 mqls but for me the uh, the the big change is here it is about in the digital world about personalized contextual conversations and if it all comes you know if you all bring this together the five key areas for me of the new CMO what what does it all come down to it all comes down to how you support the business growth of the company if you can't do that forget all the marketing forget all the great initiatives you have been driving it's just not good enough so business growth ultimately uh, is the measurement for you.
0: So, um, what about the brand? Um, you know, do you think is critical for technology companies to pay attention to now and in the future? As as you look at those five things, um, what's critical about
1: branding? Yeah. Well, when you look at the uh, just in the technology world. Of course, we are in the Silicon Valley here. We are not in Houston, Texas with oil and gas uh, or you know, uh, in, in, in any of the other cities where they have core industries, but they are well recognized for. Um, I, I just look at the entire technology spectrum and um, too many times companies just don't spend a dime on branding. They are just focusing on their product and their performance marketing and they think that branding brand marketing is just fluffy and it's just a waste of money and a waste of investment and from my point of view that is wrong because in the digital world you know your buyers are looking At your website, they try to understand who you are. They try to understand in the social world also who you are as a company. What is your purpose? What is your differentiation? What is your value proposition? What is your vision? What are the values? What you stand for as a company, so it's really much bigger. At the end, you as a marketer have to create a digital, exp- uh, not just a digital, but a unique experience. So there is a, an emotional component. Um, sometimes you call that also cognitive empathy, and um, and so I I believe that branding has just a much bigger impact on a company's um, you know business gross. And um, I give you a few examples. Of course, we can look at companies like Red Bull, uh, which has almost 50% uh, market share in the energy drink business. But of course, that's the consumer world. Uh, You could say Apple is obviously the icon, the iconic star in branding. Absolutely. But I look at the company like Verizon and uh, my former CEO from Ericsson, Hans Vesberg. you know, yes, they have a consumer business. They have an enterprise business. But he has just changed, I think, the narrative. He has also up-leveled and made the company look much more modern. Look at T-Mobile. Of course, I love magenta; It's my favorite color. And uh, they have done another great job. But then look at the cybersecurity industry uh, at companies like CrowdStrike, CrowdStrike, you know, who doesn't know about CrowdStrike nowadays, but uh, and and they were founded in 2011 and uh, now they are driving more than a billion dollars of ARR and uh, they have a market cap of 40 billion dollars 10 years later. And I still remember going to the office uh, Well, when we went to the office a year and a half ago and more that um, uh, the CEO was on CNBC in the morning. Talking about you know how CrowdStrike basically solves uh, problems for their customers, and uh, I love their slogan, which says basically we stop breaches. It's very it's very simple, and so and there is another example. Silence, for instance, was also in the endpoint protection um, business, and they then got acquired by BlackBerry but for i think 1.4 1.5 billion dollars and uh, again the company just did had a fantastic ai based cybersecurity technology but just found a way to brand themselves to be the the category leader in endpoint protection but they came almost out of nowhere and just you know just took advantage of of being uh, very strong in their brand, creating brand awareness and brand recognition and a brand personality, and and for me again, it's it's also uh, how how employees get inspired by because you need to start. It's not just external. It's really internally also. And at A10, uh, with the change in, in leadership uh, a year and a half ago, I had decided that was a really good opportunity for a company which is 14 years old, um, you know, and had phenomenal customers around the world that, um, you know, we need to up-level. We need to re- do a, a brand refresh. And we, we did that you know ultimately very successfully by uh, modernizing the logo by just changing from yellow and blue to magenta and blue uh, coincident that I have the shirt today, as magenta and blue. But uh, but also we 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 revisited the entire uh, corporate messaging framework, uh, the slogan, everything across the board. You know when you people on board. I mean it's it's bigger than anything in the in the company when you really go ahead with a brand refresh, and then people can say, wow, this just costs a lot of money. So you know, what was the benefit from it? We saw increase in brand awareness, uh, we saw an increase in customer engagement, um, you know, with iterations on the website, we saw improvements there as well as the traffic. And of course, as a CFO, you would say, oh, I want to see immediate, you know, pipeline increase and so on. But, um, you know, a lot of times these brand refreshes are medium to long term. Kind of have, and then they have material impact. And um, I think what was also interesting was for the company that... You know the company was perceived as legacy ADC vendor, and that brand refresh resonated so well with repositioning the company in in security, cloud, and 5G.
0: What's your perspective as a CMO about how you're gonna you're gonna be looking at the differences between now uh, physical versus virtual events, and how are you gonna approach that in just the next few years?
1: Great question, uh, Brian. It hit us really hard, I would say, back early uh, last year, when suddenly these conferences all got basically shut down after RSA, Mobile Work Congress, and so on and so on, Cisco Live, Dell World, you name them, Oracle. I think just, you know, we have learned to live in the digital world. We have learned to live, you know, working from home. Uh, But... um, It is sometimes still, I think we are still not there yet with even the virtual conference user experience. It's still a work in progress. And then don't be fooled. um, You know, there are actually a lot of virtual conferencing software providers are now popping up and uh you're very quickly so you need to do a really good due diligence on who is providing what kind of features and functionalities because very quickly a virtual event could be as expensive if you host it than as a physical event And I was shocked about that. And of course, if you, again, if you tell that uh, you're a head of finance, um, they go like, well, shouldn't it be cheaper? You know, we just use a little software and then we just do the broadcast and. It's easy. It's easy done. Uh, it still takes a lot of manpower, I would say, to host even such of the vir- uh, these virtual events. We hosted uh, one at A10. It was the first ever global user conference uh, for A10 last year. It was called A10 Transcend. And um, it... Uh, we we had to do it within four months, because I saw saw that it was just necessary. We always wanted to do a physical event. But now with, uh, you know, people working from home, it was a no brainer to do a virtual event. And um, the interest was absolutely stunning. Um, The registrations were through the roof um, we had. uh, and, and, And I think what was really interesting was because it was for the first time that we brought the entire community together and have them sharing openly information. So customers shared information, the experts from A-10 partners shared information, analysts about their transformations, uh, digital transformations to 5G cloud and security. And um, we even had um, guest speakers like uh, Lindsey Wong. Then we had Scott Kelly, uh, the astronaut to spend an entire year in the International Space Station. So real transcenders and, but uh, it was, It was just, you know, the entire company came together around that virtual event and um, it's cool. So, you know, down the road, how do I expect now, you know, this going to unfold? Well, in Europe, we see more COVID-19 cases popping up again here and there. So I don't think physical conferences are going to happen too much, maybe in fall, but I think we have a greater chance for 2022. And then when they will happen, then I can envision that... We will have possibly almost as much attendance as physical event at, at physical events as we had before, but in addition, we will have all the virtual conferencing users as well. So I think we will in the future see a total hybrid world. And um, if you then throw in augmented reality or any of the other, you know, virtual reality, any of the other capabilities that we are working on, <laughs> conferences will never be the same.
0: So why do you think that, that a CMO
1: is also maybe perhaps a chief community officer? The, the classic buyer and seller relationship is really dead. Um, and, and, and so it, it's evolving really to, you know, you as a marketer, you have to build a community, you have to build advocates. And, um, you know, Carter talked about the open source community, I couldn't agree more with him. This is the perfect example where, and 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 where people just share more openly information. And, um, you know, that brings me also to this topic of gating, because a lot of the a lot of times you go to a, a website, you try to find out more about a company. And then the, the content is gated. All the important content, what you want to read is gated. In an open open source community, you want to you know, provide content more freely because you want to share the knowledge. You are the expert in the field. If you're the expert in the field, you don't have to worry. A lot of times as marketers, we just gate because we want to show, obviously, the KPIs around it. But we have to let go. We have to just let the um the community find easily the information then consume it and then obviously come back for more and more so there is this need for creating more and more information but um you know I was I'm, I'm always a big advocate of building obviously your own community, your own community platform, your own forum, but uh and Again, good example was hosting a virtual user conference, what I mentioned before. But we also, as marketers, need to go where our customers or our customers' customers are hanging out in this forums, in the social, uh, sorry, in the uh, open source community, it would be companies like GitHub or the Linux Foundation or others, or if you go broader, you know, you could say cybersecurity, you go to to Black uh, Blackhead conferences or you know you go to Cisco Live, or so Dell Worlds or others. So and in the in the in the community, you have to be also authentic because your customers, your you know uh, people in the community will will respect you when you are authentic, when you are an expert, and when you speak up. So it's, um, it's not just storytelling any longer. It is, it is really you know, providing the community with resources and knowledge so they can solve problems. And they will come back and then purchase from you because they trust in you. So trust, me is so important.
0: I am also um, really, really uh, interested in asking you about why social media is becoming a staple channel for B2B marketers and how
1: that how that um, might play out even more so in the future. A lot of senior executives do still not understand the power of social in the B2B world. They still think it's B2C. And um, I also believe that the traditional funnel is really obsolete because the new buyer you know, is looking to peer recommendations. They are looking to their colleagues. There is a much bigger network of their own community they have created, and they might not be in the awareness stage. They might not be in the consideration space. They, they, they might be in one of those, but it's, uh, you know, and so they, they gather information and then they make decisions. And so there is another statistic, which says that uh, 84% of corporate buyers are actually leveraging social media for their buying decision, which is massive. And then, um, uh, you know, I just looked it up recently, which was uh, LinkedIn has more than 660 million um, you know, users today. And it is used by nine out of 10 um, B2B companies for business engagements. Uh, Twitter is a bit smaller with 200 million, roughly 200 million active active users, but still almost eight out of 10 B2B companies are now using uh, Twitter as well for business.
0: Well, you know, I, I could sit and talk to you all day about this stuff and um, we've covered quite a bit. I want to close out with something that I know is a huge passion of yours, which is corporate social responsibility, uh, CSR. Um, it's, you know, uh, it, it's something that is uh, a critical element of, um, you know, what we do. Uh, I'd love to know why you feel that it's critical in as an element of marketing um, and in especially in a B two B element for what we're doing in brands and at at uh, companies today.
1: No, thank you, and thanks for bringing this up because it's it is really close to my heart in the marketing world. We call we call it cause marketing, uh, where basically businesses align themselves with um, uh, social uh, issues, and um, <clears throat> you know social. I feel as a marketer, as a CMO. Uh, You need to be able to speak up on social issues and society issues and challenges. Uh, it's It's a moral imperative, as I see it. And it's not just B2C, it's in the B2B world. And I think I see it too often that CEOs sometimes, you know, just then post something when they feel peer pressure when they suddenly see, oh, wow, this other company has been basically publicly talking about this as well. And so there is a lot, a lot of um, uh, the, the big evolution still uh, in front of us. And it was, from my perspective, quite um, heartwarming to see corporations even now allocating financial resources behind addressing racial discrimination, uh, like the Asian-American hate crime what we saw or the african american racial injustice associated with george floyd or brianna taylor and so uh, i think um you know it's good i i i do think we are, we are going a long way here and uh, we're getting closer i think again millennials i think you know there's a statistic um probably more than 80% now that uh, they say they they see it's important that companies make, you know, commit publicly uh, to support corporate social responsibility. And so I know a lot of times it's seen as it's taking away some of the profitability from a company, but um, at the end, there is another, I think study uh, from one of the consulting companies, which says that companies who actually are active, act- active, they support corporate social responsibility are more profitable, um, which is interesting. And then um, uh, there uh, an is, int- int- I love statistics, as you can see, I'm a data guy too, is, um, th- and this is the closest to my wife and, and myself's heart, is that um, there are, women just account for 18% of uh, computer science graduates. That's not a lot and so for that reason um my wife and i are really passionate about um you know bringing uh bringing the or helping the gender gap in technology and um and uh, it and bringing more girls to stem programs and um, at A10, I initiated initiative with uh, the Lindsay Wan Foundation again. Lindsay Wan coming up because her organization is really very active in bringing young girls uh, from underrepresented communities. To some of these STEM programs, uh, in uh, to learn robotics or Python programming, Java programming, even some fun stuff like uh, video gaming development. Uh, companies like ID Tech and others uh, are offering these kind of programs, and that's just you know it just is so inspiring to see these young women who otherwise would have never had the chance. You know, to go and attend uh, a $400 or a $1,000, um, you know, STEM program like that and learn robotics, is um, it's just cool. It's absolutely cool. And uh, I truly believe that uh, you know, over the next decade, that companies who are investing into corporate social responsibility and do social good they will stand out and the community, again, going back to the community, the community will recognize these values. And uh, it's, it, you know, you should not see it from a profitability point of view. You should just see it as if you're successful as a company, I think you have a mandate to do social good. Um, Gunter, thank you so much for being on Leadtail TV
0: and and sharing all of this. We covered quite a bit and, uh Short amount of time, and and as as uh, anybody who's listening or watching can see, it's just the scratching of the surface. So I hope they'll re- research you, look look for you, find you, and and um, and and see all the other uh, fun things that you're up to and and can do, and and uh, all the. I mean, the data points are are just the beginning because I can tell you've
1: got uh, loads of them uh, back there. So. Thank you. Thanks so much, Brian. I really appreciate it being on uh, on Leetail TV for the first time. And um, as um, as Scott Kelly, um, the astronaut said, to uh, you know, if you can dream, if you can dream it, you can do it.
0: Hey, everyone. Spencer on the Leadtail team. We wanted to thank Gunter for being our guest on the show today. You can connect with Gunter Rice at RiceGunter on Twitter or on LinkedIn at LinkedIn.com slash in slash Gunter Rice one. Thanks. If you want to see the full video interview series, you can find this episode and more at leetailtv.com. Please make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Have ideas for the show? Do you know someone who would be great to be a guest? Drop us a line at studios at leetail.com. Thanks.